This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Open your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 10. If you're new today, we are walking through the book of Acts uh, together, looking at some really pivotal passages um, in the life of the early church. And Acts chapter 10 is incredibly important to understand because in this chapter, an event occurs which changes the world and it directly impacts you and me. Most of us in this room uh, come from a Gentile background. Today we're looking at how the good news of Jesus broke out from sort of a Jewish-only context out into the Gentile world. You know, we live in a world uh, that is divided in so many ways. Uh, politics, race, religion, division in relationships, on and on. How does the good news of Jesus bring people together? Ultimately, it's the only thing that can. God is the one who breaks down those barriers. And we're going to see how he brought Jews and Gentiles together around the gospel by bringing two men together, Cornelius and Peter. And we're going to see in chapter 10, as we walk through it together, how God brings these lives together, how they intersect, and what that means for you and me today. How God breaks down barriers. Let's pray together before we begin. Father, we pray that you would speak to us now through your word. We live in a world that is so torn apart in so many ways. We know it's only ultimately the love of Christ, the good news of Christ, that can make us one, that can break down the, the barriers that divide in our world. Lord, sometimes there are barriers in our own minds and hearts that need to come down. And so we pray that you would speak to us personally uh, today from your word, that you would break through every barrier and just invade our lives by the power of your spirit. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. On November 9th, 1989, the Berlin Wall came down and that signaled the, the end of the Iron Curtain that had separated Europe for so many years. And, and, and beginning that day, not only did the wall in Berlin come down, but uh, throughout the, uh, the dividing lines, the borders that had divided Eastern and, and Western Europe, the, the communist world and, and the free world, uh, throughout uh, fields and forests and, and everywhere along those, those borders, the, the walls and, and the fences that, that had divided people for generations were coming down so that the people could once again move freely across uh, borders. But it was fascinating that the wildlife... <laughs> 
didn't always follow suit. In fact, the, the population of, of red deer in Germany, wildlife biologists noticed that even after these, these walls and fences came down, that the deer populations were behaving as if they were still very much intact. And they did a, 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 put a GPS collar on one particular doe, a doe named Ahonia. And they, this doe lived in a forest right along the, the, the border. The fences had all come, come down, but they tracked her 11,000 times on one side of the, what used to be the border and, and none on the other side. And this is what's really fascinating. This doe, Ahonia, was born in 2007, 18 years after the fence had come down. You see, deer move along traditional paths and they go by modeling and repetition and what they've seen from their own mothers. And so this doe had never seen her mother go that way and that mother had never seen her mother go that way and, and on and on. And so even though the, the fence had been down for years, it was still up in the heads of these deer. There was, there was a wall that was up, that was infinitely more significant, that divided Jews and Gentiles in the first century. And what we're going to see in Acts 10 is, is how God breaks down that barrier that existed in the minds of people, and he brings them together. How did he do that? And how does he break through barriers in our world today? So let's kind of walk our way through Acts chapter 10. We're going to cover the, the whole chapter, and so we're going to walk through it kind of as we go along. The first thing that we see here is the sovereign preparation of God. Have you noticed that when God does something huge in your life, that a lot of times you can look back and you can see how God was just sovereignly preparing you for that to happen. And you didn't know what, what was happening at the time, but looking back, you can see it. You can see how God in his sovereignty was, was preparing you for that. And that's what we see in the lives of Cornelius and Peter as God prepares to bring them together. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. At Caesarea... There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. So Cornelius is a centurion. That means he was a Roman soldier. So thankful for our military ministry here at First Baptist, thankful to pastor a church that loves those who are serving in the military and loves their families. And you know what? We have a great model of that in the New Testament because in the Gospels, we see Jesus reaching out to these Roman soldiers. And, and here we, we see this happening once again. 
And it says here about Cornelius that he was devout, that he feared God, and that he put his money where his mouth was, that he gave generously to the cause of God, and that he was a man of prayer. Now, this is fascinating because Cornelius was a Gentile. He had been raised in a a family uh, that was pagan. I mean, he grew up, no doubt, in a household where many gods were worshipped, where idols were worshipped. But somewhere along the line, he had come to believe in in the one true God. Now, he he was not a convert to Judaism. He was was still a Gentile, but but God was working in his life, and he, he, he had moved toward a belief in the one true God of Israel, and he loved the Jewish people. And, and gave generously to, uh, to, the, to the cause of God. Verses 3 through 6. About the ninth hour of the day, that's about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. So, not quite 40 miles from Caesarea, which was, is on the Mediterranean. Not quite 40 miles south of that is Joppa, also a, a, a city on the, Medi- on the Mediterranean Sea. And that was where Peter was. And so God directs Cornelius in this vision, send men down to Joppa and get Peter. Verses 7 and 8. When the angel who spoke to him had departed... He called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So Cornelius immediately obeys what this angel has told him to do. He gets his men, tells them to go down to Joppa and to get this man, Simon Peter. Verses 9 and following. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour, about noon, to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and saw something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. In other words, on this sheet that Peter sees in his vision, there are all kinds of of non-kosher foods. Foods that Peter had never eaten in his life as a devout Jew. Verse 13, And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now imagine how horrifying this would have sounded to this devout Jewish man. 
I mean, their diet was one of the ways that they were marked off from the rest of the world. And so the command to, to, to kill and eat non-kosher food would have sounded repugnant to, uh, to Peter at this point. Verse 14, Peter says, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Now, it was not that, you know, pork and other non-kosher foods, it was not that there was ever anything uh, hygienically wrong with them or anything like that. God's purpose in, in giving these dietary laws in the Old Testament was to mark off his people as holy. He wanted them to be different, to be distinct from the rest of the world. And so one of the things that he did was that they had this special diet that sort of marked them off as God's people. Now in the Gospels, we know that when Jesus came, that as God in the flesh, he had the authority to, to, to modify this. And he did, because Jesus came to fulfill the law. And so, when we study the Gospel of Mark, what do we see in chapter 7, verses 14 and following? Jesus called the people to, to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and and left the people, his disciples, asked him about the parable, and he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within... Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. So Jesus says, look, the real problem is not what's in your meal, it's what's in your mind and in your heart. That's where the real uncleanness is that we need to work on. And so Jesus had, had modified these dietary laws, but in the minds of devout Jews like Peter, uh, that barrier had not come down. Let's keep walking our way uh, through. Uh, verse verse uh, 15. And the voice came to him a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. Now, in the Gospels, we see Jesus time and time again touching people that were considered to be ritually unclean. People like lepers, people with other diseases that were considered ritually unclean. People would not touch them. 
because they thought that by touching them that they would become unclean. But what does Jesus do? When Jesus would heal people like this, Jesus in love and compassion would reach out and touch these people. And see, in doing that, Jesus didn't become unclean. Jesus made them clean. We sung it earlier in our service. Isaiah 1, 18. God says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Researchers at the University of Toronto studied what they call the Macbeth effect. It was named after a character in one of Shakespeare's plays that sort of tried to wash away bloodstains that existed in her mind. And so the researchers had two groups of people. One group of people, they, they would bring them into the room one by one, and they would talk to them for a while, and then they would, they would say, think through all of your moral transgressions that you've committed. And then they would say, they would let them go, and they would say, yeah, okay, you can, you can leave, go freshen up or whatever. And then the other group they brought in, and they did not have them rehearse in their mind all of their moral transgressions. Do you know what they found? They found that the people who had just finished rehearsing in their minds all of the, the moral transgressions that they committed, when they were given an opportunity to go and freshen up, the, that group of people went and washed their hands at twice the rate as the other group. Well, I hope you'll wash your hands often <laughs> to keep from getting sick. <laughs> but I hope that it's, it's never in some sort of a subconscious attempt to wipe away sin and guilt because that won't do it. Only Jesus can. Only his shed blood can, can wipe away our sin and our guilt. And, and God makes this promise in Isaiah 1 about one who would, would come and who could, 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 could make us white like wool, who could take our, though our sins are as scarlet. He makes us as, as white like wool, as white as snow. God could make that promise because he knew that the promised one was coming. And he knew that Jesus' blood was going to run scarlet. He knew that Jesus was going to bleed scarlet for us so that we can be made white so that our sins can be forgiven as we're covered in his righteous robes Charles Spurgeon said this of Jesus his robes were made red so that ours could be made white and see that's what we see here. In the Gospels, Jesus, can, Jesus touched these people that no one else would touch. And he wasn't afraid of becoming unclean himself. He made them clean, and he makes us clean when we turn to him in repentance and, and faith.
Verses 17 and following. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guest. Now, see, God just confirms this to Peter in a way that is undeniable. I mean, Peter knows that God is in this. I've got to go. So God has done this incredible work of sovereign preparation. And then we see a work of spiritual power. Spiritual power that God does. Let's begin with verse, the latter part of verse 23. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Now Cornelius had no way of knowing what the message was going to be that Peter was going to bring, but he had a feeling that it was going to be life-changing. And so what does he do? He gets together his family and his close friends because he believes that whatever this message is, it's going to be so important and so life-changing that he wants the people in his life that he loves, his family and his close friends, he wants them to be able to hear it. You know, some 90% of people that come to Christ come to Christ through the influence of a relative or a friend. God has put family members and friends in our lives that need to know him. Right now, they're on the road to hell. And we have the way, the truth, and the life. We have the good news that sets people free. Are we going to keep that to ourselves or are we going to share that? with our family members and our, our relatives, our friends that need to know Christ? Are we going to share with them and, and are we going to, to, to get them in a position to hear a place like this where the gospel is preached every Sunday? Are we going to invite them and, and help them to be under the hearing of the good news of the gospel? Just like Cornelius does. Penn Gillette is uh, a comedian who is an, an atheist. But he tells about a, a friend of his who shared the gospel with him and, and gave him a Bible. And he was talking about how, uh, 
you know, even as an atheist, that if the gospel is true, that Christians have to share that. He says this. He says, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe there's a heaven and a hell, and you believe people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, but it is not worth telling them because it could be socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? Cornelius wants to make sure that his relatives and his friends have an opportunity to hear. And we're called to do the same. Verse 25. Then when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Now this is part of Cornelius' pagan past coming out because he'd been raised in a context where they believed that sometimes the gods could come down in human form and so he, this is part of his, his pagan past that is, is, is coming out here but Peter instantly corrects him verse 26 and following but Peter lifted him up saying stand up I too am a man and as he talked with him he went in and found Many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. And so God has just opened the door and Peter is going to step through it. Verses 34 and following. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality but in every nation Anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people 
and to testify that he is the one anointed by God to be judge of the living and of the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter just gives a crystal clear presentation of the good news when he has the opportunity. When God gives you opportunities, are you ready? Are you ready to share? Peter was ready. What happens? Verses 44 and, and following. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Now, this sounds just like what happened in chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, right? When people believed the Holy Spirit fell, they were granted the supernatural ability to speak in other languages. But who was present on the day of Pentecost when that happened? They were all Jewish people. Here in chapter 10, God is doing the same thing with Gentiles. And he's doing it in a visible way. The Holy Spirit falls in a visible way so that it will be obvious to Peter and to all the other Jewish people who were present that God was doing the same thing among Gentiles that he had done among Jews on the day of Pentecost. So the point here is not, as we, as we talked about in chapter 2, the point is not that everybody is given the ability to speak in another uh, language when they come to Christ. The point is that God is, God is visibly showing Peter and all of the other Jewish people that are in the room by, in, by working this miracle, by, by making the Holy Spirit fall in the supernatural way and, and granting this miracle to Gentiles just as he had done among Jews on the day of Pentecost, God is making the point, this good news is for everybody. Everybody. It's for the whole world. And he, because he does it so visibly, the fact that God is working among Gentiles is undeniable to Peter and to the other Jewish people who are present. And what happens then? The latter part of verse 46 and following. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. So uh, again, what is the first thing that happens with these new believers in chapter 10? They want to be baptized as believers. And what did we see last week in chapter 9 when Paul came to Christ? What's the first thing that he wanted to be baptized? In chapter 8, what did we see with the Ethiopian man? They said, where's water so he can be baptized? In chapter 8 also with the Samaritans, they believed and then what? Next up, they were baptized as believers. 
in chapter 2 when Peter got up to preach on the day of Pentecost and people repented and believed. What did Peter say? He says, you need to be baptized. And, and, they, and they were. Why? why? Why does believer's baptism always follow conversion? Because Jesus commanded it to be so. That's why. In the Great Commission, in Matthew 28, uh, 19, Jesus commands, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is clear about what we are to do as a church. Make disciples and then baptize them. Baptize those disciples. And so that's why we baptize believers. Because Jesus commands that that's the order. He says that we as a church are to make disciples, right? That's our mission statement as a church. To glorify Christ by making disciples who make disciples in our community and around the world. That's what we're all about. And so Jesus says, go and make disciples and then baptize those disciples. That's, our, that's what we're to do as a church the flip side of that is that if you are a disciple, a believer in Jesus, then you need to be baptized as a believer in Jesus, right? Because Jesus commands it to be so, and because you love Jesus and you want to obey Jesus. In the New Testament, baptism is the sign, okay, that you have crossed from death to life. It is the sign that you have come to believe in a Savior who was crucified, buried, and risen. It's the sign that you are following Jesus. As the old song says, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Okay, The, 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 the sign of that the way you go public with that is to be baptized as a believer. You know, there's a story about the, 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 the Spanish explorer, uh, Cortez. And, and the, the story goes that uh, when they came to Veracruz in Mexico and Cortez's troops were let off of the ships, that Cortez gave the order that the ships be burned because he wanted his men to know there is no plan B. There's no turning back. That's, that's what we're saying in believer's baptism. We're, we're saying, I am a believer in Jesus. This is who I am. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm going public with it following him. What's the call on your life today? What is the clean break that needs to happen in your life? For some of you, it's to say, I want to follow Jesus Christ. I'm following him. I'm giving my life to him. I'm turning to him in repentance and faith. I'm following Christ. I want to follow through on that by being baptized as a believer. For some of you, 
it's an issue in your life that needs to be dealt with. Maybe some habitual private sin, maybe an issue in a relationship in your life, but it's lingered long enough, a clean break needs to happen. You need to go to that person and make it right. You need to deal with whatever the private sin is by God's grace. It's time to make a definitive stand for Christ. Those of you who are fathers today, know the power of leadership that you have in your home that God has given to you. And there are people in your home, there's a wife, there are children. Man, they're looking to you. Step up to the plate and lead by God's grace. Not in your own strength. Turn to him, humble yourself before the Lord. And say, Lord, I need you. I need you to be the, the, the earthly father that I'm, I'm called to be. I can't do it without you. Turn to him today. He'll give you the grace that you need, all because of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the good news of the gospel. We pray that you would help us today to respond to what you have done for us in Christ. Lord, for anyone here today that needs to follow Christ as Savior and Lord, I pray that you would give them grace today to turn to you, to trust in Christ alone. Lord, for those of us who are believers, Lord, we're constantly in need of, of daily repentance and coming again to you. And so, Lord, we, we do that now. Father, whatever issues in our lives are hindering our fellowship with you or anybody else. We, we, Lord, we, we want to deal with that. We don't want those things to linger. We don't want those things to cloud our, our walk with you or with others. Lord, help us to be authentic in our walk with you. We know there's only one perfect Savior, but Lord, help us to be real. Father, I pray especially for those of us who are our dads in this room. Lord, help us by your grace to follow you, to set the example for our families, to lead by example, to be real for what we, what we live to match what we profess. And so Lord, help us today in that. Speak to our hearts right now in this time of decision. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand together and sing a song of, of invitation. If you're here today and God's just speaking to your heart about anything that we've talked about, I'm here for you. Our pastors are here for you. We would love uh, just to talk with you, pray with you, uh, come alongside you today in any way we possibly can. Let's stand and sing together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. 
I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.